0: I took my first civics class whenever I was in the ninth grade in high school. And I remember learning about society and how government works. And I was told in that class that the design and the function of government is to make it easy for people to do good and difficult for people to do evil. After Jesus introduced the Sermon on the Mount... He immediately began talking about design and function. He's talking to citizens of the kingdom, those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord and we're following Him. He talks about what are citizens of the kingdom designed to do. What is our function? How are followers of Christ to influence our world and our society? Well, it's interesting what he said. Read with me starting in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Are we doing our job? Are Christians influencing culture as salt and light? Well, let me me give you some statistics. They just came out Friday. LifeWay Research. All of these percentages that I'm about to share are all over 50%. The number of Americans who believe worshiping alone is just as good as going to church, 66% of Americans. The number of Americans who believe that God accepts the worship of all religions, 67% of Americans. Those that believe Jesus was a great teacher, but He was not God, 53% of Americans believe that. Those that believe the Holy Spirit is not a person, it's this mystical force, 66% of Americans believe that. The number of Americans who believe there's no such thing as objective truth, it's a matter of your opinion, 60% of Americans believe that. Those that believe everybody does something wrong, just a little wrong, but not real bad. In fact, you're really good at heart. 66% of Americans believe that. And those that believe the Bible is helpful, but it's not literally true. 53% of Americans believe that. Folks, we're not making much of an influence. Listen to those numbers. We're not, we're not salt and we're not light. One-fourth of Americans say, I I want to grow spiritually, but I will not look to a Christian to do it. One-fourth. So, what do we do? How do we become the influence Jesus talked about? Well, let's, let's look at it more carefully. In this passage, Jesus used two metaphors. One of salt and one of light. So let's let's look at them both. First of all, letter A on your outline, verse 13. Let's look at salt. Salt. Jesus told the disciples, remember he's talking to the crowds, but specifically addressing the disciples sitting here, all 12 of them. He looked at them and said, you are the salt of the earth. Now, he's talking, he uses the word you plural. So he's all 12 of them. And the word you, Hamas, is put in the emphatic position in the syntax. So in other words, he emphasizes the you. It would be like him looking at them and saying, you are the salt of the earth. You Christians are to be the ones influencing this planet for good. Notice he said you are. He didn't say you should be the salt of the earth or or, eventually you're going to be or ideally it would be great if you could be. He said you are, present tense, salt of the earth. Now, what does salt do? Well, it flavors your food, obviously. It uh, preserves. It keeps meat from decaying. They used it in biblical days for that. Uh, It's used as fertilizer in small doses. It's uh, used in nutrition. It's used for healthy drinking water. Back in biblical days, salt had so many uses and it was so valuable, they used it as payment to the soldiers, the Roman soldiers. In fact, the Latin word so, for salt is sal, S-A-L without the T, S-A-L, we get the word salary from it. Or you're worth your salt. That's the phrase meaning you're worth your, your salary, your payment. So salt in biblical days was valuable. So Jesus was saying, believers in Jesus, you are to positively impact our world. Live your life in such a way you witness to the to prevent the decay of culture, teach what God has taught us, and be blessings to others. Salt. But then Jesus asked a good question. What if salt is no longer salty? What happens if salt does not do what it was designed to do and it's supposed to, how it's supposed to function? What if it has lost its influence? What do you do? Can salt do that? I mean, those of you who are scientists in the room, you, you know sodium chloride is a stable compound. It doesn't really break down. Sodium chloride is always sodium chloride, so how can salt become unsalt? It really can't, can it? What was Jesus talking about? Well, in biblical days... Most of the salt came from around the Sea of Galilee region and in the Jordan rivers that it flowed down to the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea, by the way, the Old Testament, known as the Salt Sea, nine times saltier than the ocean. There's a lot of salt in this region. So in, in, the, in the Sea of Galilee area, they had the marshes, the salt marshes. And rather than by evaporation of salt water, they got their salt from the marshes. So the salt contained impurities, So the actual salt being more soluble than the impurities could actually be leached out and it left you with a residue that looked like salt but wasn't and it was worthless. So you would see people at the Sea of Galilee region pull out the salt that could be used and what else that looked like salt, actually impurities, they didn't bother with. They just walked on it and trampled underfoot of men, Jesus said. The salt could not have influence because it had impurities in it. Wow, that, that says something to us, doesn't it? Maybe, maybe one of the reasons we don't have the influence we should, we have just as many impurities as the lost. Salt. Jesus said, if the salt has lost its saltiness or its savor or its tastelessness, notice the word that's used. You'll see it on the screen there in Greek. It's the word moreno. It comes from the, the root word moros, and we get the word moron from it. It means foolish, useless, or stupid. Now, we don't use the word stupid in our house. So we'll go with the foolish or the useless. Salt that no longer does its function is foolish, useless. And Jesus said, how can it be restored to saltiness? How can salt be resalted? How can sodium chloride be sodium chlorided? You can't salt salt. So, if it's no longer useful, you throw it away. It doesn't function anymore. If salt isn't salty, it's obsolete. And folks, when Christians stop being an influence, we're worthless. What good are we? We're obsolete. Whenever Christians stop being influential, what we're designed to do, what, how we're to function... He, he just puts us on a shelf and doesn't use it. He throws us away. Because our one task is influence. We had an iron a while back to iron our clothes with, and it stopped working. If irons stop working, there's not a whole lot else you can do with them, right? I guess you could use it as a hammer, I guess. I don't know. Or, or a paperweight or But if an iron doesn't iron, we throw it away. And if a Christian doesn't influence, Jesus said you're pretty much worthless. Our design and our function is to influence, so we're obsolete and no longer doing what we're designed to do. Then he goes to the second metaphor light, letter B on your outline, verses 14 and 15. Light, a common symbol in the Bible. And again, looking at the disciples, said, You are the light of the world. Again, it's in the plural, all 12 disciples. And again, it's in the emphatic position, You are the light of the world. And again, not you hope to be, you should be, you really ought to think about, it's you are currently present tense, the light of the world. And then Jesus gave two examples of how light is used. The first one was a, he said, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, if you, if you design a city and put it on the side of a mountain, it is designed not to be hidden. Its function is not to be hidden. In fact, if, if you build a city and put it on the side of a mountain, its design and its function is to be noticed, noticed by those maybe on, on, if it's on a trade route and, and people are traveling by and you see the city oh that's where i'm supposed to stop or if you're on a body of water and it's dark and a city on a hill and it's all lit up it, you're you're traveling on the body of water and you go oh there's the city there's where i'm going so the city on a hill is there by design not to be hidden for everybody to see isn't it interesting Jesus told the disciples, you are here as a city on a hill by design for people to see you. Not blend in. To see you. And see your light. And see your shining. And see who you are in Christ. Now... You remember two Sundays ago we talked about how the Sermon on the Mount. It was on. It was there was a hill outside of Capernaum. The Bible said Jesus went out to Capernaum to the hillside. You go to the west. There was a mountain, a slow, slow slope, and the Sea of Galilee is here. So the slope goes up like this. Jesus stood up on the mountain. The crowd was down below. So the crowd was down below by the sea, looking up at Jesus up at the slope. Now. Two times ago, whenever we went to Israel, we go once a year, take 50 of you with us. When we went two times ago, our, our, our tour guide, Yuval Shemesh, pointed out something to us. There were some remains on the side of the hill above Jesus of an ancient city. There was a city, whenever Jesus was teaching there, a city that was prominent at the time, that was on the side of the hill of the Sea of Galilee, called Safed which meant lookout and they built it there on the Sea of Galilee for ships to be a lookout across and it was very prominent and as Jesus was teaching and the crowd was looking up it would have been over his right shoulder. So as Jesus looks at the crowd and the disciples and says, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill can't be hidden. And they could see directly over his shoulder, this city sprawled out on the side of a hill. By the way, Safed is still there today. Uh, It's a modern city. Here's a picture of modern Safed. If you look at the lower right corner of that picture there, you'll see it is sitting on the side of the slope of a mountain, if you look at the le- top left picture, that is the same picture, but it's looking at the bottom of the mountain, looking up the slope. You see the city set on the hill. You see the road coming down there. That road, if you follow it down, today will take you down to the Sea of Galilee. So this city of Safed is still there. It was there in ancient days. Tradition says Jacob, before he wrestled with the angel in Genesis, stopped at Safed, did some study and reading and, and time with the Lord before he went with the wrestle with the angel. We don't know. Safed today is a city of about 36,000 people, about 3,000 feet in elevation. But in biblical days, Safed would have been interesting because the Sea of Galilee didn't have electricity. Nobody had electricity in those days. Sea of Galilee is a body of water sitting between two mountain ranges, so it looks kind of like a hole or a pit. So at night, it's especially dark. And so as you're coming miles and miles away up the Sea of Galilee from the south to the north, you're seeing a light, the candles, the old old lamps, the candles from all the city of Safed lighting up all the Sea of Galilee and everybody in the darkness could see that city, very obvious, what an analogy Jesus says, you in the pit of darkness in our culture, Christian, you're the city set on a hill. You're the one they should look to for hope. You're the one they should look to and see light. You don't blend into the darkness with them. You're the city up here for everybody to see. So the believer, the city cannot be hidden. It is impossible not to be noticed. A Christian who follows Jesus as Lord, takes his word as your authority, lives out the way that you should live, goes by the teachings of Christ. Folks, you can be hidden. You will be noticed. You will be that city. It's impossible not to stand out because the darkness is so dark. Here is the second example, a candle, verse 15. Nor do people light a candle, Jesus said, put it under a basket. But on a stand, it gives light to everybody in the house. The design and function of a candle is to be displayed. You don't light a candle put in the closet, do you? Unless you're trying to make the closet smell better, but you don't give it for light there. This time a year ago, we were in the midst of a deep freeze right here in, in, in Texas, Our grid didn't work too well, and all of us lost electricity. Most of us lost electricity for several days. And my family and I, we got candles and put them in in our main living room, on our main living room table. We didn't light them and put them in the garage. It'd do us no good. Candles, by their nature, are designed to be displayed where they give light to everybody in the room. And Jesus said, You're that candle, you're that light. You don't light it and stick it in a church somewhere. You don't light it and stick it in a closet. You light it and you put it out to be displayed amongst the darkness. And if the world is going to see light, it's going to have to see it in you and me. Now, the last verse, the command, letter C on your outline, Jesus gives a command. Listen to what he says carefully, verse 16. In the same way, same way as salt, same way as light, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Here's the picture. Jesus is telling the disciples, just like salt and just like light, You're to be influential. People are to see you. And when they see your good works, they won't glorify you, they'll glorify God. That's how it works. Now, you say, good works, is that what I'm designed to do? Yeah. That's your function. Ephesians 2.10 says that. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. What are good works? Well, you're going to hear about them for the next 14 weeks of the Sermon on the Mount. Those are the good works we'll talk about. People should see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, I was at this point in the sermon going to sing this little light of mine. You don't want to hear that. But that's our jobs. So many Christians want to blend into the darkness. They don't want to stand out. They want to appear just like everybody else. They don't want to be different. They want to wear what they wear. They want to go where they go. They want to live like they live. They want to vote like they vote. They want to decide like they decide. They want to believe what they believe so they don't stand out. And whenever you don't stand out, you're not doing what you're designed to do. If an object doesn't do what it's designed for, you stop using it. And Christians, if you cease to do what you're designed to do, if you don't function anymore, God just sets you aside. Or could He even take you out of this world if you're not doing what you're placed here to do? your salt and your light in the 1930s almost every german in germany was a christian in name 60% of the population was roman catholic and 40% was protestant And in the 1930s, initially, the teachings of Adolf Hitler and the Nazi party found sympathetic ears in the churches. The churches were all in favor of Hitler at first. All the Christians were for him and for the Nazi party. The largest of the churches in those days in Germany was called the German Evangelical Church. It had 28 regional locations. It merged three major faith traditions together. It was very popular and very influential, and they were very much behind Hitler and the Nazi Party. But the longer the party gained power, and the more they heard Hitler speak, Christians began to grow uncomfortable, and a few German theologians began to speak out. But by now, Hitler and the party had gained so much power they were beginning to persecute and sometimes destroy people who opposed them. So Christians just got silent. And one by one, German believers grew silent. They didn't want to speak up. They didn't want to stand out. They didn't want to be persecuted. They didn't want to appear like they didn't believe what everybody else was believing. So they blended in. And two pastors began a movement. It wasn't popular. But two pastors began a movement in Germany called the Confessing Church. Pastor Martin Niemöller and Pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Martin Niemöller spoke out and said, Christians, your ultimate authority is not the state, it's your Lord, and you can't be quiet. You've got to stand up and you've got to speak up. He was jailed seven times by Hitler for going against what Hitler taught. The other pastor was a young German pastor by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Here's his picture. Bonhoeffer was eventually killed by Hitler for speaking out. He was hanged. But here's what Bonhoeffer said. Christians, you are to to be the ones speaking up against Nazism and against Hitler because it contradicts what your Lord told you, and Germans remain quiet. So Bonhoeffer wrote a book, a 320-page book called The Cost of Discipleship, taken from the Sermon on the Mount, the section where Jesus said, you are to be salt and you are to be light. And in this book, he said, believers, you must stand up to this culture of darkness. Listen to what he said, page 106. Quote, Christians, flight into the invisible is a denial of your calling. Flight into the invisible is a denial of who you are. A community of Jesus that seeks to hide itself has has ceased to follow Christ. A community of Jesus that seeks to retreat and hide itself is no longer following Christ. End quote. It fell on deaf ears. So friends, here we are, 85 years later, in a dark culture, It doesn't like what you believe very much. You name the topic, and if you believe it, they'll cancel you, they'll stop doing business with you. You may get fired. So what are you going to do? Blend in? Or be salt and light, which is your design and your function. Lord, I want to pray today for our church that in the midst of a dark culture, we will be that city set on a hill, will unashamedly proclaim Christ. We will unashamedly proclaim the words of Christ and the words of Scripture and live those, not being afraid of who's going to respond and how they're going to respond. Father, help us to live up to our function and our design. In Jesus' name.